What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Rewired Soul Podcast. So check it out. This is the perfect follow-up episode for yesterday's conversation with Tom Chatfield. So if you didn't check that out, make sure you check it out. Tom Chatfield has a brand new book called How to Think. So we we discussed his book and different tools that we can use to become better thinkers and decision makers and, you know, knowing how to spot like misinformation and all that. Well, today, today, the episode is with John Petricelli. All right. So he is a social scientist. He does a ton of research and his book, his new book is so good. And I really, really hope that you all grab a copy. All right. His new book is called The Life changing science of detecting bullshit. All right. And many of you are asking, you're like, what, what, what's the difference? What's the difference between bullshit and lying? Right. Well, in this conversation, I actually have John break it down because that's something where I, where I was confused a little bit too. It's like, what's the difference between bullshitting and lying and why does it matter and all that? So we discussed that. And, you know, John argues that bullshit is actually a much larger issue because it completely disregards the the truth, right? It's just not caring about truth. But anyways, we talk about this, we talk about real world uh, instances from like car repair to, you know, making a, a, a purchase of a home to listening to experts, all these things. And John has done plenty of research and studies to help us become better equipped to know when someone is just bullshitting, right? And we kind of discuss like, you know, which situations does it matter, which does it not. But most importantly, I've had a theory for a very long time about Oprah Winfrey. And I talk with John about this later on in the episode. All right. So <laughs> if you want to hear that theory, make sure you listen to this whole episode. But anyways, I thought this was perfect to follow up yesterday's episode. So please make sure down in the description below, make sure you are following John over on Twitter. Grab a copy of this book. All right. And while you're in the description, make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. So you don't miss any episodes. I have a ton of great authors coming on. And by the way, by the way, if you're new here, make sure you're following the podcast. Make sure you're following it. Apple, Spotify, wherever you're at, make sure you follow it. All right. I have people who are like, oh, I didn't even know, you know, a new episode was out and all that stuff. So if you're following the podcast or on social media or whatever, you don't miss a thing. All right. So anyways, without further ado, here is my conversation with John Petrocelli about his brand new book, The Life-Changing Science of Detecting Bullshit. All right. Hello, John. How are you doing today? Great, great. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thank you for yeah. joining me. And as you've seen on Twitter, I've been singing the praises of your book. I binged it in about a day. It's not often that I do that. So this book is about the science, the life-changing science of detecting bullshit. So can you first kind of uh, discuss a little bit of your background and what made you decide to write this book? Why did you feel it necessary to write such an important book? Sure, sure. I uh, I came at it from uh, a couple of different angles. Um, so I'm, a, I'm an experimental social psychologist. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just fancy for saying I'm really just an old college professor <laughs> at, uh, at, at Wake Forest University. And I, I teach courses in social psychology and judgment and decision making, but I also have a research lab in which I get to do all kinds of fun things and, um, and try to answer all kinds of uh, nerdy questions, um, <laughs> about, about how people go about talking about things that they really don't know anything about. Uh, and so I've been conducting that research. Uh, it's really actually about 10 years in the mm. making. Uh, and I took a, it took some time to sort of get my bearings on the behavior. Um, but I was actually quite dismayed, uh, cause here I am, I'm a, I'm a social psychologist. So, mm-hmm. so that means we, we, we study thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, mm-hmm. um, in, in context. Um, so, so the situation and in the context in which people, uh, feel, think, and behave, um, uh, we're interested in how contextual situational factors affect those things. And when I, when I, I picked up Perry Frankfurt's, uh, 1986 article where he defines what, <laughs> what he means by bullshit. I thought, well, surely, uh, someone has investigated this and, yeah. and, sh- and surely it would be either, either a social psychologist or maybe someone in, in communication science. Uh, and I was quite dismayed. I didn't find anything. There was a mm-hmm. lot of, there were a lot of lip service, uh, coming from philosophy, business law, um, even psychology a bit on, on speculation mm-hmm. as to why it occurs or where it occurs and examples, but there was no empirical work. There was no experimental work kind of testing the initial hypotheses and Harry Frankfurt's brilliant work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just dismayed at that because I'm, I'm the, here I am, I'm a social psychologist. Shouldn't I have an explanation <laughs> for, for what, uh, under what conditions bullshit emerges? Yeah. Um, what are the consequences of it? I wish you to be able to answer these basic questions from an experimental perspective. Uh, and there was nothing, there was absolutely yeah. nothing. And, and I thought this has to be one of our most pervasive and ubiquitous social behaviors. I mean, I can't think of a more (laughs) frequent social behavior, uh, you know, maybe, maybe beyond, um, people standing at a bus stop or maybe, maybe ordering a burger and fries. You know, I, I can't, I can't think of another social behavior that's, that's more pervasive than the behavior of bullshitting. And here we are, we're just really scratching the surface of understanding this behavior, why people do it, under what conditions do they do it, and how understanding those conditions can also help us to to better detect this this insidious social substance that we call bullshit. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. And that's that's one of the reasons I I was just sucked into the book because yeah, you 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 nailed it. Like because I love social psychology and cognitive psychology. Like why do we do the things we do? Why do we have certain behaviors and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I read a ton of books on these, like, obviously, like Daniel Kahneman's, uh, you know, work and uh, Dan Mm -hmm. Ariely, and but nobody's really uh, done a deep dive and kind of broke down, you know, what uh, Frankfurt brought up. So when I saw your book, I'm like, okay, this might be a repeat of everything I already know. But yours was fantastic. I loved it. And and yeah, it, we're going to dive into some of the topics of why it's so important to be able to do this. But but first, like, 
I read a lot of books on like, you know, misinformation. And I've had authors come on who debunk conspiracies and we talk mm -hmm. about scientific thinking and all that. So can you kind of lay out and define what you mean by bullshit? Like, is it lying? Is it something, you know, uh, uh, for self-inflation to make us sound smarter than we are? Like, what do you mean when you say bullshit? Yeah, sure. Yeah, there's there's actually a number of, of distinct differences between them. It's a, it's a common question, though, that I get when I tell people what I do for a living. Um, you know, they oftentimes have these ready-made, you know, uh, examples of bullshit and it's, <laughs> everyone seems to know the same person, right? Uh, everyone, yeah. everyone, everyone seems to know Maurice on the second floor in marketing <laughs> and who, who is the world's greatest bullshitter. But what they usually mean by that, um, can be a number of different things. Um, but there, there is a, a distinct difference between lying and bullshitting. So, so when someone lies to us, uh, as far as they know, they are communicating something that is not true. Okay. And so it, it, it is to their benefit to actually know and care about the truth, you know, to tell a successful lie. Right. But in the case of the bullshitter, the bullshitter by definition, uh, doesn't care about the truth. They don't have, uh, any attention to it. Uh, they could care less about the truth. And in fact, you know, what the, what the liar says, as far as they know that that's categorically mm, false, okay. but what the, what the bullshitter says is not necessarily false. So yeah, there are times just by chance, uh, by accident, the bullshitter actually sells something that is correct. Mm -hmm. Um, but in that case, even the bullshitter wouldn't be aware of it, right? Because they're not paying any attention to the, the, the facts the, the genuine evidence or established knowledge. They're not paying attention to the truth. And so the other important uh, difference between the two types of, the two behaviors, lying and bullshitting, is there is a very, very different social reaction to the two different behaviors. So, so when a friend or colleagues or someone we care about lies to us, mm -hmm. right, we usually have a strong emotion of anger and disdain and it is probably going to take at least a hundred instances in which they tell us the truth before we start to, to, well, have, have some trust in, in the liar. There's a great, there's a great asymmetry. Usually we give people, um, you know, sort of the benefit of the doubt. We think, oh, this new person that I met is, is, seems very nice. They're on, we think we, we generally think, well, they're, they're honest and they're trustworthy, but a single lie you know, can, can disrupt that. And it's going to, again, now we're going to need several behaviors of the opposite of truth telling to, to flip that, uh, to be, for that to be diagnostic and for us to, to trust that individual. Now with bullshitting, uh, mo in most cases, socially, we, we give the bullshitter just a social pass of acceptance. We say, oh, well, Chris was just bullshitting us, right? <laughs> yeah. we, you know, I mean, even the way in which we discuss the behavior sometimes. I mean, we, we might be sitting out on a porch, you know, uh, and, and someone could come by and say, oh, what are you guys doing? And, you know, oh, well, we're just out here bullshitting. Right. Yeah. But, but you, I've never heard, uh, nor thought to say to someone, uh, oh, well, we're just out here lying to one another. 
<laughs> you know, it was just, it just doesn't happen. And so the, the social perceiver, we know from a number of experiments in, in my lab that, that social perceivers view these two behaviors very differently. And, and Frankfurt was actually correct when he theorized that, that, uh, that lying is usually given the, the stronger, uh, response socially. Mm. And, and there's more of an attempt to squash it. Right. And there's, there's more consequences for the liar socially. Mm -hmm. Um, and he thought always that that was ironic because he thought that the bullshit was more insidious, mm -hmm. uh, not only because there may be more of it, but because the bullshitter is not connected to the truth and then truth, truth was paramount. And, and that was, that was the most, uh, compelling, uh, evidence that you could use for an argument or for the, the basis of a belief was to be well connected to truth, genuine evidence and established knowledge. Uh, and so that's where he felt that, well, bullshit is, is, is worse, but, but socially the, the problem is, is that we, we don't think that bullshit is mm -hmm. very, is very dangerous, but it most certainly is. I mean, there's, there's ranges of how harmful it is, but that, but bullshit can be very dangerous. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's, that's another reason why I, I found your book so interesting and important because uh, I can't remember the exact quote off the top of my head. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it, but they talk about how like the thing that's worse than evil is like indifference to it. Right. And not caring. And that, that kind of seems like what we're talking about when it comes to the truth and knowledge, right. When people are just bullshitting, they, they, they just don't even care what the truth is. And I think that's one of the reasons why I got so interested in, you know, uh, even topics of why we trust certain people, right? Like why we listen to what other people say, because people, you know, especially now during COVID and everything, anybody can, you know, have a voice, have an audience, you know, from politicians to influencers to, uh, you know, uh, athletes and stuff. And they could say whatever they want about COVID, the vaccine or whatever, with no evidence behind it. And people are like, eh, okay, that sounds about right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing too, I, I do want to say about sort of the, def the definition is that, that the, the behavior of bullshitting is, is often characterized by a wide range of rhetorical strategies mm. designed to be influential or to be persuasive, uh, to sound impressive, mm -hmm. um, all the while, uh, while not having any regard or interest or concern for truth, genuine evidence, or established knowledge. And so there, there are a number of motives for this behavior, um, which, which may again, range from trying to influence or persuade someone, mm -hmm. or sometimes just, just wanting to fit in, you know, uh, and to have something to say, um, even in cases where we don't know exactly what we're talking about, because at some point or another, Chris, you know, no matter what the topic is, someone is going to turn to you and, and ask you your, your opinion, or, or they're mm -hmm. going to, it's going to be your turn to say something. Right. Mm -hmm. And what, what, what Frankfurt had, had initially uh, speculated, which I've tested a number of times in the lab, there's very strong evidence of this is that people have a, sort of an implicit motivation, um, and, and need to have an opinion mm -hmm. about, about everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and it's, it's, it's just, 
impossible, especially in today's world, to have a well-informed opinion about everything. I mean, we're supposed to have opinions about the, the major issues. And well before the, you know, the emergence of the internet, uh, people had still, they still had opinions about everything, mm -hmm. uh, but, but maybe they had opinions about, you know, nuclear energy or nuclear war or whether or not we should go to war and who should vote and when, and, uh, capital punishment, maybe the, the big issues that people read about and, and thought about and, and discussed. But today you're still supposed to have opinions about those things, right? But, yeah. but you're, you're also supposed to have an opinion about whether or not Game of Thrones ended early <laughs> or, yeah. or whether or not the next movie, you know, should have won so many Oscars or, or whether or not people should be allowed to carry toy dogs in their purses or whether or not Kim Kardashian should or should not be famous and whether or not her sister should or should be able to, to <laughs> di digitally modify their pictures on Instagram, you know? And so, so it's just endless the number, like, like everything, quote unquote, has just expanded uh, so greatly. And you just sound like you're not a factor or you're not interesting or you're not satisfying that need to belong in that connection with other people if, if you don't have an opinion to share. Mm -hmm. And and so so people feel obligated and they will literally talk about, communicate about anything. I mean, I've, I've done studies in the lab where I've created fictitious diseases that sounded, <laughs> that sounded like, you know, it had symptoms that, uh, were easy to imagine. And the easier it is for someone to imagine these, these symptoms, the, the more BS they, they, they tended to generate and they had ideas for how to prevent it and, and, or how to tr maybe how to treat it and all kinds of things. Let me just go up and, and, and that disease didn't even exist. Yeah. You know? So, so it doesn't really matter what you throw people. If, if, if there's, if you show interest in what they think, or you give them a few minutes to explain what, what they think, they'll, they'll, they'll put it out there and, um, and it can have a number of different effects. Obviously. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so weird. And before this conversation, I, I, I let you know that we're, I wanted to like kind of dive mm -hmm. into some weeds and I just think you're the perfect person to talk to about some of these things. Like my, my mind was racing all morning about like, I'm like, I need to ask him about this while I have his time. <laughs> right. And, uh, because yeah, um, you know, First, like, you know, just my, my personal experience, like, I, and I think a lot of us can relate where you're talking about, we feel this need to have an opinion on everything. And sometimes I'm just sitting with my girlfriend and I, I catch myself, right? Well, she'll be like, hey, you know, this person, right? A celebrity and, you know, mm -hmm. a musician or something like that. And like, I'll stop myself because, you know, I think sometimes just even something so small, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, I know him. And then you have no idea who that person is, right? So it's these like small things and then it can translate into bigger things. Like you're talking about the experiments you've done where people, uh, are, are, are saying solutions for a d fictitious disease, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try to practice with a small thing so I don't bullshit on the larger things, you know? Yeah. Um, but before, before I dive into kind of like the, the reasons why we bullshit and why people fall for bullshit, I, I have to ask you this, because this is what I, I wonder whenever I start a book, who is the target audience? Because like, I think of the ideal target audience. Like when I, when I see your book, when I read your book, I'm like, there are people out here who fall for bullshit. There are people out mm -hmm. here who bullshit all the time. And those are two people who need to read this book, but I don't think that they're going to pick your book up and read it because we were terrible yes. at this kind of self-awareness. So what, who's the target audience and what's kind of like the goal, the mission behind this? 
Yeah. So, so you, Chris, you're hitting on a major problem with responses to bullshit. So, so the, one of the major problems with bullshit is that most people believe that they're not susceptible to it, that they're, that, that they can detect it. And, and that's why they are not susceptible to the, maybe the undesirable unwanted effects of bullshit. And that, that is, that is rampant. That is uh, among the masses, uh, a, a general belief and people can't be more wrong about that. And in fact, um, in studies, uh, that, that are now sort of popularized by the, this idea of the Dunning Kruger effect yep. where, where you have to, where, where basically the idea is that, you know, the cognitive skills that you need to be competent in a particular domain are the very same skills that you need to recognize competence in that domain. And yeah. so, so what you find in a, in a lot of these studies that, that examine this effect is that the people that are oftentimes most confident in their abilities, they, they actually have the least amount of knowledge. There was actually a study in, and done with a, uh, in a medical journal, uh, not too long ago that showed that the people who were most strongly against uh, the idea of vaccinating their children, mm. uh, because of fears of the, the sort of the irrational fear that, that it was connected to autism, which mm -hmm. has com been completely debunked, yeah. uh, in, in several studies with extremely large samples. They've got some of the most, you know, large samples that I've ever actually seen in, in the hundreds of thousands <laughs> that, that show there is no connection. Right between between the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine and autism. Right, mm -hmm. but the people who are most against the, the vaccinating their children, they they were tested for how much they actually knew about autism, and they knew the least. Yeah. Okay. So, which is right in line with Dunning Kruger. So, so what you're hitting on is, is a, a is a susceptibility kind of irrationality with regard to the to it, and and the audience though is. Literally everyone, every yeah. single uh, <laughs> walk of life and every area, because what, what I have found, what I've come to, the conclusion I've come to is that, that virtually all of our problems, whether they be personal or interpersonal, relational, mm -hmm. you know, professional, societal, they are rooted either directly or they're rooted indirectly in mindless BS reasoning and communication, you know, in, in forming beliefs, you know, making decisions without regard for truth, without regard for reality, well, that doesn't bode very well mm -hmm. in the way of optimal decision-making. But what you will find is even among, I've, I've picked on uh, uh, physicians in the book a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and <a little> even, <laughs> even, even, even among physicians, right? I can't think of a, I can't think of a profession that is expected to know, uh, mm. everything more than the physician, especially with, with, with regard to one's health and, 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 um, uh, their being and, and nutrition and, and all of these things. They're supposed to know so much and they must be under such incredible pressure to know so much because they're, they're sort of their whole business, right. Uh, mm. relies on giving patients answers. And in a lot of cases, they simply do not know. And there's mm -hmm. a, there was a study done in the, in the, in the early eighties that showed how well physicians were actually calibrated with their diagnoses. 
And they also tracked, well, how confident are they in the, in their mm -hmm. diagnosis? And so it ranged for, well, maybe, maybe they're all only, um, 10% confident all the way to, you know, 99% confident. Right. And there was no relate. They showed no relation <laughs> between yeah. confidence in the diagnosis and, and accuracy of the diagnosis. Um, but when they, when they compared, uh, physicians to weather forecasters, they showed that weather forecasters were actually very well calibrated when they said uh -huh. that, oh, well, there's, there's a 40% chance of rain. Well, in, in, 40% of the time it, it, it rained, right? Now mm -hmm. people often think, and they complain about weather forecasters, right? And say that, well, weather forecast, you know, they said it was going to rain and it didn't rain, but, but you look back and they say, well, there was an 80% chance of rain. Well, yeah. when you look at the data, it rains 80% of the time <laughs> in that, in that city or, you know, that location. So weather forecasters are very well calibrated, but they are getting data on a you know, they're getting feedback on a daily basis and they've got all kinds of instruments that they use, uh, that make them very well calibrated. Um, but, but with physicians, uh, again, I mean, they're supposed to know everything and oftentimes, even in their own areas of specialty, they get it wrong. Um, uh, and they're, they're, they're not, they, they are trained to understand, you know, conditional probabilities. They're on, they are trained to understand what a, what a positive and a negative test actually means with regard to the probability that a patient might have cancer or, or, or some, or some condition. Um, but, but what is, what they are often prisoners of is the confines of their own professional experience. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you, you'll, if you look at the, the studies on, on attitudes towards clinical practice guidelines or what they call evidence-based guidelines, uh, physicians that, that just come out of their residency and, and, and they, they start their practice. Oftentimes they have a, a rather positive attitude about clinical practice guidelines and evidence-based medicine, but as they gain more and more experience, their attitudes tend to drop and, it, and, and over 30 mm. or 40 years, they have very negative attitudes towards these things, but but the way in which the guidelines are, are produced is through a, a very rational uh, method of science that, that takes into account hundreds, if not thousands of physicians experiences, right? Mm -hmm. But, but the, but the individual, even the physician, right? The highly trained mm -hmm. professional, they often rely on their own professional experience and their own professional experience is a very bad and yeah. very messy collection method. I mean, it, it produces messy data that is, that is often random. It's unrepresentative, ambiguous, mm -hmm. in, and it's certainly incomplete and, op and often inconsistent. It can sometimes often be, even be indirect or second or third hand and might often be surprising and counterattitudinal, not necessarily fitting with the sort of the, the ideology and the beliefs that they already have. So. So mm -hmm. that kind of data collection method it is, is not optimal. Um, and it, it doesn't, uh, it does not warrant the audaciously high confidence that people usually exhibit, mm -hmm. uh, but, but people do this. I don't want to, I don't want to pick on physicians so, so much anymore, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you see the same thing, um, in really any, any, you know, whether it be business in, in the corporate world, um, how they make decisions. Uh, judgments in law, 
uh, your auto mechanic and your and your roofer and the person trying to sell you uh, the next bottle of wine that you want for a special occasion or whatever, or, or a new car, used car, it's all over the place. And so as, as especially I think consumers would be, uh, the, the, the primary target, but, mm-hmm. but also kind of taking into account people who are expected to know everything. I mean, like your, your auto mechanic is supposed to know everything about your car. Right. And if, if he or she this, you know, exhibits any kind of doubt. They're not sure that they, they, they start to lose customers, right? Because they're supposed to, yeah, they're supposed to have answers. And I have literally saved myself hundreds, thousands of dollars simply by asking questions. Uh, I mean, Mm -hmm. just asking questions because the auto representative at the auto dealer uh, is not, is not the mechanic and they will uh, they will often give you uh, bullshit responses to questions like, well, is that something I can change myself? Could, can I change an, mm-hmm. a, a cabin air filter myself? Is that something that I could, yeah. could get, get to? And, and all I have to say, oh, no, no, that's not something. Change. <laughs> well, I was like, well, I will, well, I'll get that, I'll get that um, replaced next time I come in. And meanwhile, I, you know, I, I check and see, well, my goodness, there's, there's only 55 videos on YouTube that show me how to do this. And mm-hmm. it turns out I could change probably 50, uh, cabin air filters in an hour. Yeah. You know I mean? It's very, it's very simple. It's usually behind the glove box there, yep. but, but, but that process of kind of asking, uh, sort of follow-up questions and, and doing a little bit of digging and investigating like a scientist would, uh, that can uncover uh, the, the bullshit that we're just bombarded from, from every angle. So yeah, target would be a- anyone, everybody, yeah. <laughs> any, any consumer and, and any profession would be a target of this. Yeah. And, and yeah, you brought up so many great points and it, it segues perfectly into like where I kind of want to dive deep into this because something I loved about the book, especially like uh, in, in the final chapter, like right before the conclusion, you talk about it, like when it comes to, you know, a mechanic or like buying a house or, you know, and I, <laughs> I know it seems like you, you pick on physicians, but this is something very serious, you know, like uh, I have a son, I know you got, you know, <laughs> your father too. And it's like, we, we have to be curious about, you know, what's going on with doctors mm-hmm. and all these things. So it, it is serious, especially during COVID and all that. So um, it's one of the reasons I love to read. And like you mentioned, like just looking up the cabin air filter, like I worked in car repair service for a long time. And yeah, a lot of times it's right behind the glove box. So, <laughs> you know, a lot of people come to me when they, you know, get a car estimate on repair because I worked in the business for so long. But anyways, here's where I kind of want to dive in. So humans were, were driven by incentives, right? Like what's incentivizing it? So for example, when I was working in the car repair business, I was paid commission. Mm-hmm. So if I went around telling everybody, hey, you can just replace your cabin mm-hmm. air filter, I'm mm-hmm. losing money. But if mm-hmm. I looked at it, that was like, you know, I made like 50 cents off that. So it was kind of weighing the pros and cons. If I, mm-hmm. if I teach you how to do this, maybe you'll come back for a bigger repair because you know I'm not trying to rip you off. But anyways, incentives are huge. So think about the incentives of doctors or a real estate agent. So I kind of wanted to ask you about this. So there's there's the speaker, right? There's the person bullshitting, giving the information. Then there's the person receiving the information. And I'm wondering who most of the responsibility lies on. Because if we're using a doctor, for example, if I go to a doctor and I say, 
what's wrong with me? And they say, ah, it could be this, it could be this, or it could be this. But if I go to some holistic person with essential oils or whatever, they say, this is what's problem. Uh, your, your vibrations are off, sniff this essential oil and you'll be fixed, right? There's this, I, you know, we're, we're driven towards that certainty and that confidence, like you said. So with the incentives of the person bullshitting and then the receiver who is looking for someone who is certain and confident, like where's the responsibility really lie? Or like I, that's, that I feel is the main hurdle, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've I've argued well we're we are certainly not going to to stop bullshitters. Um and, <laughs> and unless unless we start to collectively make it more difficult to get away mm, with. Okay. So 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 that was that's the sec one of the the, the primary factors that we find in and the research that I've done that that proliferates bullshit. So so there's the obligation to, to have an opinion and to share an opinion, but then there's the, the cues from the social, social situation that signal that, well, it's going to be easy or it's going to be difficult to get away with bullshit in this situation. Yeah. And, and, and the, 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 with the auto mechanic, I personally, I'm not going to bullshit an auto mechanic because they're going to know right away mm -hmm. that I, that I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. So. So it's going to be difficult in that situation. That's why I don't, I don't bullshit a, a, uh, on a mechanic, but, mm -hmm. uh, my, my wife, who is a finance, uh, it manager, she, she, I might, I might tell her, well, yeah, we needed to get that part changed because there was, you know, it's, it's causing wear and tear on another part. That's going to be more expensive to fix if we don't get that changed now. So yeah, the bill was $400 and I know you're really upset about that, but <laughs> and I'm like, like I might be able to get away with it in that case. Right. So, yeah. so if, if we make it more difficult collectively, and that's how I kind of see this whole uh, thing working out and, and to try to collectively reduce the bullshit that we're exposed to as consumers, if we collectively make it more difficult and start and become more willing to call bullshit, then I, I think over time we, mm. we can, we can try to make that a, either a, what we call a descriptive norm, what people actually do in a situation, or even make it a, a more, uh, injunctive norm, which is just simply thinking about, well, what should I do mm -hmm. in the, in this situation? And, and so I, I've argued that, well, making calling bullshit a, in a descriptive or an injunctive more would increase the likelihood of the behavior. So, mm. so there, I do think there's that, that one route that might suggest, well, maybe, maybe some of the most of the responsibilities on the bullshitter themselves. And, and so we should, we should start to address the, the bullshitter. But I've also argued that, that the, a, a, a probably a more, uh, productive way of reducing the unwanted effects of bullshit is to be better at detecting mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, properly disposing of bullshit. So, mm -hmm. so the better we become, you know, collectively at, at detecting it, um, then the, the better decisions that we can, that can ultimately, ultimately make. But, but I think that that is only going to come about through developing and training all the things that don't come naturally. So. So yeah. critical, critical thinking and a, and a general attitude of skepticism, uh, must be trained. And so I think there is, uh, I'll give you an example of, of where a lot of the, 
responsibility I would place on the receiver of bullshit. Yeah. So, so I, um, I think the, the, any kind of Ponzi scheme that people find themselves, um, that, that they discover that they've been part of. So in, in the, in the famous Bernie Madoff Ponzi yeah. scheme, I mean, that, that Ponzi scheme, what successfully ran, people don't realize this for 18 years. Yeah. Okay. And so the people, um, they, most investors, and there were over 4,800 investors in Bernie Madoff's mm -hmm. Ponzi scheme. Okay. And most of them never spoke to much less, you know, met Bernie Madoff. Um, they were brought in, not based on some, you know, wizard like persuasion and, you know, in, in bullshitting artistry that Bernie Madoff displayed. All he had to do was yeah. show that he, he had su successful outcomes with his set, his hedge fund and what he boasted for each month for 18 years was uh, a performance that outperformed the basic, the S and P 100 and S and P 500 indices, which is, is mind bogglingly impossible, yeah, yeah. you know, improbable. But, but his basic argument was that, you know, with, with people who brought new investors in was that this is very, uh, this is very exclusive and you have this special opportunity to get involved, you know, and it's up to you look at our success, but all of his data was, it was completely fake. I mean, yeah. when, when the SEC had, had investigated him a number of times, he had printouts, the old paper you know, printouts with the holes on the side. Yeah, like the doctrineers. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. and it was it was all retrospectively done. It was like, oh, okay, well, um, oh, GE went up, uh, you know, a percent and a half uh, yesterday. So I'll just make it look like we, we invested in that yesterday, but and and this would have been the outcome. But it was all fake, um, and it's and this was done. I mean, it, it was it was it was uncovered in I we believe two thousand eight. Mm. Uh, what was actually going on for eighteen years, but. But it's even, even before that, even by 2000, it was very easy to track data, yeah. you know, to track, uh, to track money data, like where money was actually going. All anyone ever had to really do was, was to, is to investigate, well, did this hedge fund actually, did they actually invest in, you know, did they actually buy 50,000 shares of GE yeah. on this date? You know, but, but no one was actually looking at the, the scoreboard. Nobody really cared enough about the true yeah. uh, general, you know, the genuine evidence and, and established knowledge, because when you look at what, how he explained, um, it didn't even make sense. I'm not even sure he knew that <laughs> it made sense that you, that you could have such success in, in the manner that he yeah. described. Uh, and there were a few people that, that pointed it out, like Harry Markopoulos, um, a, a, he had shown, he had written that the SEC several times. Um, and there were even a couple of, of articles, if you dig that, that people had, that had written and, and, uh, and I, I believe Newsweek had, had mm -hmm. a couple of articles that show that, what well, yeah, this, this, this performance is really astounding. And, uh, the, the reputation of, uh, Bernie Madoff was, was very positive. It looked, it kind of, it sounded legit, but what people were more concerned about was whether or not they were profiting from their investment. Mm -hmm. And as long as, I mean, as long 
you know, Chris, I, I could start, you know, I, we could start a Ponzi scheme today. All we have to do, Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all, all we have to do is give people back maybe 10% of their money, mm-hmm. you know, and to convince them yet yeah, and, and just say that that's profit. You know, meanwhile, we still have 90% of their money and all we have to really do is, is keep people in the game yeah. and, 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 and you talk about incentives, incentivizing them to say like, well, we're going to, con- you know, we're going to continue, uh, you know, surging forward. We're going to, con- you know, continue putting our best effort and making this hedge fund uh, the most profitable. And if you keep your money in, that, that's going to, if everyone keeps their money in, that's going to work. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you just give out a little bit and, and all we have to do is hope that, that, uh, not too many investors ask for their money back at the yeah. same time, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because that, that's, that's ultimately what, what, um, crash Bernie Madoff was that too many people had, I mean, they asked for well, basically billions of dollars back and he only had maybe like 300 million to, yeah. to, to return. Um, but, but if you just look at the, at the basic data. And the reality, even if you charge his performance over over time, um, you can cut. You could see that. Well, he's not making decisions based on the S and P one hundred. It it must be something else because yeah. you charge the S and P one hundred for eighteen years, and the and the Fairfield Century Hedge Fund, uh, one of his hedge funds that he was running, and charge that performance. It, you, you see something very peculiar. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's like it's it's as obvious. You know, as a as as a scoreboard in which a you know a, a basketball team is beating the other team by like eighty points, it's just much much greater performance than you could that that could be produced from the system in which he he suggested. But and so I place a lot of that a lot of that responsibility on the receivers of bullshit if they're not at all interested in truth. Yeah, it's, you know, established knowledge, genuine evidence. Then they're going to be what, what I, I've called quite bullable. They're going to fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're going to fall for bullshit, even when there are clear, readily available social cues suggesting that 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 this there's something wrong with this this conclusion. There's something wrong with this claim and assertion. Yeah, yeah, and and that's like as you talk about that. Like I remember, so two thousand, you know, uh, when when the Bernie Madoff stuff went down. What was it, two thousand eight? You said. I believe so. So, so during, yeah. during that time, I was in the middle of my drug addiction and alcoholism four years before I got sober and all this stuff. Like I did not care. Right. And then even as I got older and sober and like stuff, I look back, still didn't care. And I've learned so much about Bernie Madoff and all this uh, this year, because as a 36 year old man, I'm finally investing and saving and all this stuff. And I'm learning about it. So so like one challenge that I see is getting people to care about this stuff and seeing because like, you know, the average person, like, mm-hmm. I feel that part of my issue was like, why do I care about Bernie Madoff ripping off a bunch of millionaires? Like, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, I'm struggling to get by. But I think your book does an excellent job giving such a wide range of examples. And when we can see all these different situations, even if they'll never happen to us, we can see how they happen, because it's just like the same candy different rapper. You know what I mean? Because we get, we get bullshitted, you know, by, uh, you know, uh, how, how, how does my, okay, here's a great example. My mom, uh, she knows I worked in the car service industry forever. And she would go to the mechanic before a trip and say, just check over my car, see what's wrong with it. But 
it can't be over a thousand dollars. That's all I have in my budget for these, for whatever's wrong mm-hmm. with my car. Even though the car has nothing wrong, she just wants to get mm-hmm. a check. And oh my God, what do you know? Every single time it's like nine hundred eighty-five dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep, so it yep. happens in different areas and different places. But I, I absolutely mm-hmm. agree that it, it comes on the responsibility of us. And and like you said, like. Like, I, I think there's layers. Like, first, we have to care about it, right? We have to care mm-hmm. about the truth, what the truth is. And I, I kind of see, like, as you were describing it, I kind of see it as like putting speed bumps in a parking lot, right? If everybody's mm-hmm. speeding around, what do you do? You put in some speed bumps. It slows people mm-hmm. down. So us asking questions and that becoming a new norm, it makes bullshitters have to slow down and be like, oh, wow, well, if everybody's asking questions, I can't, I can't bullshit that much. And I kind of see that as, uh, you know, there, there's a huge problem with like cancel culture, call out culture, outrage culture and all that. But like, I'm someone who got canceled in 2019, but I also see the benefits because you're setting this norm, like you'll get called out on some shit. So, so it's less advantageous to mm-hmm. do terrible things, you know what I mean? So there, there's like this kind of balance that we have to find. Um, but I'm, I'm curious when it comes to calling these things out and asking mm-hmm. questions, and you do a great job like saying like how you can do this without being an asshole, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but the two, the two major issues I see us having on a personal level, like, uh, and going back to the Bernie Madoff example, mm-hmm. Uh, when we're getting our car repaired, when we're buying a house, whatever it is, the two major roadblocks I see us having on an individual level are greed and laziness, right? So laziness, mm-hmm. we don't want to go through the effort. Why do I want to ask all these questions? Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned mm-hmm. with a cabin filter, you can look at 50 YouTube videos and or you know all these YouTube mm-hmm. videos, but that's going to take time. That's going to take effort. Mm-hmm. So if I'm lazy, I don't want to research it. I don't want to look into that. I'll just pay you. That's right. You mm-hmm. know, but then there's also the greed aspect. So I'm saving, I think I'm saving money or I think I'm making money, right? Like I've taught my son from a young age, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So his bullshit yep. Yep. detector, his bullshit detector is <laughs> already all right as a 12 year old. But anyways, anyways, how how do we address that that greed and laziness or are there any other aspects of just our personal human nature that i'm missing but it seems like those mm-hmm. are two big things that we have to face ourselves yeah well i think i'm not so sure the response as to bullshit always has to be this the same because i i do think there are sort of levels of harm and danger mm. um and and so we could sort of pick our battles right <laughs> so yeah. i mean i mean there there certainly is um relatively harmless forms of, of bullshit. I mean, if I, if I tell you, well, I could throw a football over a mountain in 1982 <laughs> and I yeah. exaggerate, I, I remember exaggerating my daughter. Like, oh yeah. When I was in high school, we won all of our football games. And, and when she was four, she even knew that was bullshit. She said, no, yeah. dad, you didn't <laughs> win all of your games. Oh, oh yeah. I guess we didn't win them all, but, yeah. but, but then there are, there are other things that actually, if you, if, if you consider, I mean, some of the things that we tell children, um, that are actually somewhat beneficial. I mean, like in the, in the summertime, right at, at the pool, we tell children, you know, you know, Chris, they put a compound in that swimming <laughs> water and it reveals the presence of urine. And so that's to catch people who pee in the pool, you know, and yeah. as most kids realize that they, they find out later that that's actually not true because they may, they may have tested it. Right. <laughs> but, but, times, yeah. but, but to the extent that it reduces 
a few people from peeing in the pool. I think it's actually there might be some benefits mm, to it, and yeah. and there certainly are benefits to you know to bullshit for the individual. For society, maybe not so much. Maybe the con the consequences tend to be negative, but but uh, so there are those sort of harmless forms of bullshit that are going to get some you know annoying uh, responses or or you know eye rolling. But but um, so so those types of things. I'm not so sure it's it's all that important to to spend time fighting those battles. But but there but when bullshit is is I think deemed bad when there's there is clear harmful potential. Mm -hmm. I think it is worth uh, confronting. And and I I mean examples I would say like you know did you see her face? Who would ever vote for a face like that? You know <laughs> I mean that's just really. That's very, very bad. Yeah. <laughs> a bullshit. I mean, it, it dehumanizes. Yeah. It, it, it objectifies women and suggests that women can't be good leaders, mm -hmm. but and, and, unless they're attractive. I mean, that's just really bad, right? But, yeah. but then there's, then there is also extremely bad, dangerous bullshit mm. that, that is able and likely to cause harm. You know, if, if someone tells you, well, you know, I can text while driving and you know what everybody does it and and not everyone is is wrecking their cars i don't see the problem mm -hmm. okay and, I, and my response is no 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 you that is you you can't say <laughs> yeah. you can't say that 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 is that that's just plain wrong and people no matter how good of drivers they think they are everyone's performance and driving is affected when they're distracted goofing around playing video games on the phone it's just it's yeah. it's 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 look at the data <laughs> i mean you know look at the data and and so i think how we think you know things work you know what we believe to be true i mean these things are the very foundations to our decision making and you know when when bullshit is what is shaping our beliefs you know we're simply we're just not very well positioned mm. to make to make good decisions and and it gets in uh, it can get in with in cases where where we don't have our our guard up we don't have our bullshit detectors you know at full throttle um because research that we've done in my lab has shown that the this this basic uh, what we call the illusory truth effect which mm -hmm. is basically you know believing something is true um, even sometimes when you know better, when you know, when you knew in the past, well, that, that wasn't true. And I used to think, you know, growing up, I, I remember hearing this, well, if you hear something, um, often enough, you'll come to believe it. And mm -hmm. I, I, I used to think, well, well, maybe it'll take like 50 or 60 times to hear that, <laughs> but, but, but Chris, it doesn't, it only, it only takes one instance. And when you mix it in with the the cognitive, the cognitive overload that we get, the information that we're bombarded with, you mix it in with stuff that is actually true. And you ask people, um, you know, is this statement true? The statement that you just read, you know, a few moments ago with a bunch of other statements, um, how true do you think it is? And we give, we are participants in our exam, uh, examples in our experiments, things like, oh, Steinbeck is the author of the agony and the ecstasy, or that that a baffy is a name of an old two wood in golf, you know, uh, or Sydney is the capital city of Australia. And all, all three of those are false. Okay. Mm -hmm. But just, but just by mentioning those and reading those, the next time you, the very next time you see those statements mixed in with a lot of other information that may also be false or true, 
you are more likely to say, I, I think that I think that's actually true because the familiarity yeah. with the statement is often confused for truth. And so this is how, you know, in, in an implicit way, people start to generate uh, some doubt about things that they actually even knew to be false. So they tagged as false in the past, mm -hmm. but now it feels more familiar and uh, maybe that, maybe that's actually true. Yeah. And, and so, so it can't, even, even when it sounds harmless, these types of, these beliefs about things that are actually false can have an effect on what we believe to be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting too. like some, like I have a brain that just never stops. Like maybe that's why I read so much. Cause it gets me out of my head for a little bit, but, uh, but yeah, because like I, I read, I, I read a ton of books on just like how we can't even trust our memory half the time. Right. We have this like illusion of what our memory is. Mm -hmm. So like when you come combine that with, Oh, okay, well, Oh, maybe that was true because you don't even properly remember how you heard it or the context you heard it. I'm wondering if that, that plays into it as well, but there's so much, there's so much going on. Like we're inundated with news and information constantly. And something you discuss in the book is truth default theory, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's easy. It's easier for us to just assume like you, you, you came on, you know, you joined this zoom, your, your name says John V Petrocelli mm -hmm. and uh, here's your picture. And I'm just like, okay, I'm not going to question that. My default is you're telling the truth. That's who you are. That's mm -hmm. your name, all that stuff. Right. Because it's too much for me to be like, hold on, let me, let me Google this guy and find a social security mm -hmm. number, you know, and all this weird stuff. So so yeah, I and in the book you do the uh, the 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 uh, the fly test, right? So like, <laughs> is that is that kind of the best way is to just take situations one by one? Like for example, like if you were bullshitting me right now, well I guess because there's a podcast and I have an audience, like it might be a two on the fly scale because it's like okay, well if I let a guy on here who bullshitted me about his credentials and name, you know maybe that's a two, but it's not killing anybody. So like. Is that kind of the best thing that we should do to kind of gauge whether we should be asking a ton of questions or just kind of like, oh, whatever, I'll let that slide? I, I do believe that, that considering the potential consequences of, of buying that bullshit is, is a good way to kind of gauge the extent that you want to entertain it or, or, or do any kind, of, any kind of work, like you had mentioned earlier, that it's, it takes work to debunk things. I mean, and that, that's one of the problems. I and mean, we, we, you and I, we could create a bunch of bullshit here in a couple of seconds. Right. But, yeah. but, but the, depending on how plausible and feasible it is, it, it may take hours and days and weeks to debunk it, you know, oh, it, yeah. it, and, and that's one of the asymmetries, um, that, that, uh, we look at in the research is, is, and, and how that is problematic, uh, that people are often not willing to do it, especially if they don't care about it. So if yeah. it, so that'd be another characteristic of the information um, that I would consider was like, well, how important is this information? Um, what effect might it actually have on my own decisions or the decisions of, you know, my loved ones? What, what do I, what do I, what kind of things do I want to allow in and, and, and not allow in? So, yeah. um, so yeah, I think that, um, I mean, that's really good. It's a hard question to, to answer because. Um, that you really don't know. I mean, some people are not going, people, the bullshitter is not going to say, oh, I'm bullshitting you in, in all cases. I mean, you, you talked about earlier, the incentives 
uh, of the bullshitter, and they are they are there. I mean, look look at what um, recently uh, Logan Paul had done, and and Conor McGregor had also done. I mean, they both set up these fights with Floyd Mayweather, right? Yeah. And and they basically bullshitted people for months, you know, mm -hmm. especially especially Logan Paul. I mean, I mean, he had no business being in the ring with <laughs> with yeah. Floyd Mayweather. But he bullshitted his way into a fight and made millions of dollars, right? Yeah. And and even after, uh, even after he lost the 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 match, he he went straight back to 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 BSing and and talking about how he was actually the winner, right? <laughs> that, yeah. that, that 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 yes, he he technically lost the match, but but the fact that he had uh, uh went the distance with this, with Floyd Mayweather, you know, and, and at first glance, that might actually sound impressive because I think it was only his second fight and he wasn't a professional fighter. Yeah. Here's Floyd Mayweather, you know, but, but then when you, when you analyze, when you critically think about it for a few minutes you, and, and you, and you gain enough information, j even just the basic demographics of the fight show you that it, it's actually not so impressive. It was an eight, it was an eight round fight, not a regular 12 round fight. And Floyd Mayweather is 44. I believe he's retired. Yeah. He's retired. And he's 50 pounds lighter than Logan Paul and, and a half a foot shorter, right? Yep. <laughs> and, and he's not, Floyd Mayweather is not your knockout artist like like Mike Tyson was, right? I mean, he's, he's your peekaboo-style fighter. And so when you take those things into account, you see that, well, it's not really that impressive. And actually, I'll be willing to fight Floyd Mayweather too if he's only going <laughs> to, if he's only going to punch me maybe 30 times, you know, in an entire match. I mean, hey, for 10 million, I'll. Oh, oh yeah, I'll heck yeah. In the ring too. So um so there are those benefits. I think becoming more aware of of the incentives of of the of the BSer can sort of make us more attuned, but but being willing to ask just really basic questions can reveal BS and then we can make informed for we can make informed decisions yeah. as to whether or not we actually buy this stuff. Yeah, I, uh, I I was recently having a conversation on the podcast with uh, uh, Andy Norman about, you know, uh, truth and, you know, skepticism and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Like I feel and I don't know if it's how I was raised, but like, I got trust issues. My my first instinct is skepticism. I you know, so I'm always questioning. I'm always like, what is this person's motive? Whether I'm listening to the news or hearing the opinion of somebody, I'm like, do they benefit in any way from me trusting them, right? And a lot of times, you know, there's money in this and that, but like, you know, obviously if we run around not trusting anybody, uh, life's kind of gonna suck, you know, because <laughs> we're a social species and all that. So it's a balance, but sometimes I'm like, geez, like maybe my skepticism is a good thing at times because my I, I start asking questions immediately. Who is this? What's their background? How are they incentivized by this? Where do they benefit? And and I felt like you were the perfect guy to talk to about this. And since we're talking about people incentivized and making millions, so in the book you talk about you talk a little bit about Dr. Oz, right? And okay. you talk <laughs> a little bit about Deepak Chopra, but mm -hmm. there's one person you didn't mention who I think. I don't know. It's it feels like this person fosters a ton of bullshitters and has some of the most influence in the world. And I feel like mm -hmm. I'm crazy because not enough people realize this, but Oprah Winfrey. 
Okay. Right. Like yeah. she's mm-hmm. she's the one who who made the secret and the law of attraction like part like blow up, right? Mm-hmm. And she gave a platform to Dr. Oz and Deepak mm-hmm. Chopra. Absolutely. So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> like, do you see a larger issue too with like someone as huge as Oprah? Like, not like I don't know. Do they not care? Do they not care about the truth? Do they not care that Dr. Oz or Deepak Chopra or the author of The Secret is peddling bullshit because, you know, they're incentivized by the money, the views, the, you know, whatever it is? No, I I think, I mean, no, this is pure speculation. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to produce the very substance that I'm, that I'm arguing we need to reduce. But, um, so my speculation is, is that, I mean, Oprah is, is, is very open-minded and she's, mm. she's found that, you know, being very open-minded about all kinds of ideas, it is not only entertaining, but that people feel that it's, that it's actually informative and it, and it helps them make better decisions in life. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so from that, from that perspective, I think yeah, she's certainly been successful in that, but I, I think as, as, uh, Richard Dawkins and others have pointed out that, you know, open-mindedness is a really good thing. You know, some, mm-hmm. some, some things that we discover even, you know, in science or even just in a personal experience are surprising and they're, and they're counterintuitive and, you know, not everything is, all, is so straightforward. So you, so you gotta be an open mind to, to make sure that you, you let the good stuff in, right? Even, mm-hmm. even if, even if it, it, it doesn't sound like it's even possible at first. And so there are those cases, they're rare, but, but for all those cases, but he, but he argues, well, Yes, we should be open-minded, but not so open-minded that our our brains fall out. Yeah. Right. And and what you find, I think, I mean, certainly sensationalized, um, you know, in 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 the drama of of Hollywood, obviously, is is going to sort of leave that that mind too far, that door too far open, mm-hmm. and and so I I do think that. That uh, not only guests, but e- e- Oprah herself has been a little too open-minded in and yeah. accepting uh, as sort of again this sort of with uh, this audacious certainty, uh, this these ideas that are not well uh, documented, they're not well um, informed by science, they're 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 not verified by anything that we would call. Well, evidence, and one of the one of the problems that I worry with with that is that that most people treat explanation as if it is evidence, mm. but 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 explanation is not evidence. Okay, so evidence is something that that verifies, it demonstrates, it's it's compelling information that supports a claim or an assertion. That an explanation is just a reason and oftentimes it's just a reason why I believe something, you know, because I might say, well, 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 because Oprah said so, <laughs> you know, yeah. and so did, and so did Dr. Oz. Right. But if we look at really the, the, sort of the, the, the best reasons to believe something, right. The very, very best reasons to believe something I I've borrowed from, uh, Ed Wilson's idea. He called the, the consilience of inductions. And I, I believe Michael Shermer has also called this the, the convergence of evidence. And what that is, is when you have a, a claim or an assertion about something that, 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 um, you know, or an idea, right. Is, is if you have a case where multiple independent mm. lines of inquiry, you know, and especially, and it's even better if it's coming from multiple disciplines and you have multiple people, independent lines of inquiry. 
uh, showing or, or, or coming to the same conclusion, you know, that the earth is round and not, mm -hmm. not flat, you know, from all of these different angles, they're all converging on the same conclusion. That's usually the best reason to believe something. But, yeah. but ju just because, you know, uh, Dr. Oz uh, suggested that it's, that it's true or, or Oprah or, 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 or Deepak Chopra have also been very critical of, I mean, just because mm -hmm. they, they suggest that, that you can will the quantum, <laughs> you can will the quantum physics in the atoms of your cells uh, to, to reverse aging. That might sound very profound and, and, and fascinating, you know, and it, and yeah. it will hope it can, it can really pull people in, but there's no evidence whatsoever yeah. that, that, that people even understand quantum mechanics, let alone, uh, you know, harnessing uh, the power of that to, to, to reverse aging or to, mm -hmm. to do anything that, that, that we would, we would prefer to do so. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think I think hitting on is a very good example of of sort of the the Hollywood picture of, of open mindedness that that is a that is a form of, of bullshit. Yeah, and and you know you know what helped me a ton, and I hope everybody listening uh, it does. It's like I I I took some time and I read like three or four books on logical fallacies, right, and how to argue and things like that. Because as you're talking, you know, and we talk about these things like the explanation versus the evidence. You know, there's the appeal to authority. There's the appeal to popularity, right? Like I could say, well, you know, millions of people listen to Dr. Oz, so he must be right. And it's like, well, you know, millions of people believe, or not, I don't know, hopefully not millions, but a lot of people believe in the flat earth doesn't mean it's true. You know what I mean? So uh, when I learned about these fallacies and understood why they aren't a good argument, it's kind of helped me detect bullshit and all that. And, and, you know, specific, and, and like going back to Oprah, I think, you know, uh, you know, you talk about like how she's open-minded, that's definitely a good thing, right? But to being too open-minded is, is difficult. And it, it just circles back to like, when you talk about this, like this kind of indifference to the truth, like, I don't think Oprah, hopefully not, has any bad intentions. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, like, okay, like Oprah, she's like, you know, just done a ton of philanthropy, you know, she still has billions of dollars, but she's done a lot of good things for people, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't think she has bad intentions, but that kind of indifference, like, oh, well, you know, maybe the, the secret can help somebody and the mm -hmm. law of attraction, or like you're talking about like willing these things like through like, you know, uh, what Deepak mm -hmm. Chopra talks about, but the way I see it, because I'm always, whenever I read these things, like, like, uh, like books like yours or any, or like debunking conspiracies, I'm always like, does it matter? Like, does it matter? Like how much effort should go into it? But it does because the more time, like if I, like I knew people when The Secret first came out, mm -hmm. they dedicated their life to this thing, right? And every minute you're dedicating on pseudoscience mm -hmm. or bullshit, you're taking away of something else from something else that might be actually benefiting you, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so that, yeah. that's where, that's where my passion mm -hmm. for this comes from. Because if you, mm -hmm. if you spent 10 hours on your Saturday making a vision board, Right. Like that could have been like, you know, spending time with your family or, you know, reading and learning and, you know, doing all these other things. So I see that kind of like that time thing. So the, the next question I have for you, and, you know, maybe there's something I should figure out since I work in marketing by day. But when we're talking about Oprah, when we're talking about Dr. Oz, Deepak Chopra, 
they have an audience of millions, millions and millions and millions. And again, when I asked you earlier on, like, who's the target audience? So as I'm reading your book and you're talking about Dr. Oz, you're talking about Deepak Chopra, and I think about all these people, like there's there's people who, you know, are stay at home and they watch these things and, you know, whatever, like how, how do we get your book in front of those people? Does that, you, do you see what I mean? Like yeah. they, they're the ones who need it the most. And I'm just like, how do I reach those people? How do we get this book, this podcast, whatever it is, these conversations in front of these people? Yeah, I would, I would say that it first starts with, with being open to the possibility to use that same open-mindedness that, that, you know, I would say that, you know, bullshitters like Oprah Winfrey are, are they, they are not, um, they don't have ill intentions. I don't believe that, mm -hmm. that we've seen that. I, I think, um, what, what makes them bullshitters is, is really the manner in which they come to the conclusions they make. It's the, it's their, their way of reasoning and their, and their ignorance as to what, what compelling evidence actually is. So, um, did, did want to say that, <laughs> but, yeah, but yeah. I, th I think it's, it's also, well, using that same open-mindedness to then say, well, you too may be a victim of believing bullshit, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I guess inviting people to, uh, consider some of their own thoughts, um, and a possibility that they themselves, um, are the most potent bullshitters that they'll, <laughs> that they will ever meet. Um, and so if, I think if you normalize and, and, and I've argued that, well, bullshit is, it doesn't have to be a bad word, you know, or maybe it is BS or more, yeah. <laughs> maybe, 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 maybe bull crap, you know, I mean, you don't even have to call it uh, on bullshit to, to call bullshit. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just asking people, uh, in, in, a, in a very considerate way to explain, you know, how it is that they have come to the conclusion that they, um, mm. that they, the conclusions that they've made about, and it could be any, it could really be any issue. I mean, any issues in the day, vaccines or, uh, you know, whether or not, whether or not they think the election was stolen, you know, how asking, how is it that you've come to that conclusion is always more effective than why. And so I think if you just ask people to start to go through some of the basic critical thinking, uh, they might be more open to this possibility that, yeah, maybe they don't have the whole world figured out. Um, mm -hmm. if you ask, if you ask people why they believe what they believe, usually what you'll get is a very heady abstract level of control where people will tell you, um, you know, philosophical theory based things. They won't, they won't offer evidence, you know, boots on the ground, hard evidence or, or they won't generate any, if they, even if there's any readily available evidence that might support their case, but, but sometimes they can, um, and that, and that's useful, but, but once they real, I think they realize that, well, I really don't know that for sure. And you shake their certainty, uh, in, in things and offer them another way of considering something that they haven't really paid much attention to that being genuine evidence, truth, facts, and, mm -hmm. and established knowledge. Uh, once they consider that, they could see that they're, well, gee, you know, that, that leads me to a very different conclusion. Um, or maybe I'm correct. Maybe my, the ideal, uh, that I had, you know, the claim was X and, 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 and Chris is, is suggesting that it, that, that it's really why 
well, maybe in some conditions it, it's X in other conditions, other situations, it's Y, you know, now, now we're, now we have engaged in a decision to be smarter, right? And know yeah. like, okay, there are conditions, what we call these things in, in, in psychology and in social science, we call these things moderators and they're, they're kind of, they're variables that switch on and off or change the direction of the relationship between two other variables. And it's a much more complex way of thinking. And so to, to, I, I think probably that the real task that you'd have is for people to accept the fact that things are much, much more complex mm -hmm. than they ever hoped or wanted it to be, or, or, you know, the, most people think, you know, the world, the world is simple, you know, oh, but we, we make it complex. And I think, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. You see, you'll see that on t-shirts sometimes, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, we had to make it comp. It's really simple, but no, I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't. And certainly, uh, human behavior of all sciences, I mean, it, it, in my mind, it's one of the, the most complex, but even if you go yeah. to the, the so-called hard sciences, chemistry and physics and biology, those things are extremely complex, you know, and, and to have, you know, this, this, this idea that we know everything. Uh, that we know how stuff works uh, is often overestimated, and and this audacious certainty or this kind of this sense that you know um, something that we we want to believe you know uh, but we don't have any evidence for is ipso facto evidence of of the truth that we that we that we think we have is just not warranted. And I yeah. think if you if you shake that certainty a bit. Uh, uh, that I think people are a little more open to the fact, well, yeah, maybe sometimes I am sort of like, like Robert Cialdini calls himself, he's been calling himself a patsy for the last, I don't know, 40 years in, on, in his book influence. And that's, yeah. that's what, what, what got him to, to start writing about the ways in which the world tries to influence us and mm has -hmm. found that, you know, that he was often, um, influenced, um, in ways that he wouldn't have otherwise been influenced uh, if he was thinking about things a little more critically. And, and I think if, if people recognize their susceptibility to that, if we can get them to recognize it, then, then, then they're more likely to pick up a book like I've written. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I always say like when people ask me about, you know, how I choose, you know, the many books I read and stuff like that. And like, uh, you know, I, I, I often say like, I, I love, reading books that remind me how dumb I am, right? And that's like, you know, a little over the top, but just reminding me of thinking errors or like you mentioned, like Robert Cialdini and influence, like how these things happen to us. Like I, I've read books like this a bajillion times, but I will continue to do it because it's like a good reminder. Like if I don't stay on my game, I can be susceptible to bullshit. And, and I loved the the tools you give, like I actually, like for my next question, you just, you just totally touched on it. Uh, I had highlighted how versus why questions. Like when you talked about that in the book, I'm like, yes, right? Like you, you, you sold me on it. I'm like, all right, I dig that. Like, it makes sense. And I, I like try to play out conversations and, and I, I have a little bit more of your time and I'm wondering if we could do a quick experiment. I've never done this before. Can okay. you demonstrate, <laughs> we'll do a little like uh, role play. Can you demonstrate some how questions and I'll be uh, a person believing something crazy like uh, the flat earth and you ask okay. me some how questions, all right? Okay. 
The first thing I would ask you, Chris, is to clarify your claim. So I, before I get to how, I would ask you what, well, what do you mean by that? I mean, my floor in my office is flat. And if I go right outside my, my office outside the building, it's actually flat. So what do you mean? What exactly do you mean when you say the earth is flat? <laughs> that's, so that's, I, a, that's the first question I would ask you before so, I get to how. <laughs> so I mean the globe, when you go and you see this spherical mm -hmm. globe, that's incorrect. It is actually flat. It's flat like your floor. The entire, th the entire thing that we know as our world is, you're saying is, is flat. Yes. You don't say. Interesting. You know, yeah. there's ice walls at the <laughs> very is, edge. This is what I'm, this is where I would act. Well, gee, I never heard that before, Chris. I mean, that is, that is really interesting. Um, so it helps to play dumb sometimes and just yeah. to play a little confused and, and to clarify, first clarify that claim. So you said the entire thing, like. That, that, that we know as our, as our, as our earth, it is flat. Mm -hmm. Once we get there, then I would say, well, how, how do you know that? How, how did you come to that conclusion? Because when I look outside on the horizon, it's flat. When I'm in an airplane and I look out that window, there's no real curvature. It's flat. So I see these things. I know mm -hmm. I've seen it with my own two eyes that it's flat. Okay. So what, 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 uh, so what kind of that, that conflicts with my own uh, beliefs and my own observations. <laughs> so, so, I mean, and so that, that's, that's okay. So that's the evidence you've got is that, that when you look at the, when you look, you see a flap. And so, so what kind of evidence would convince you that that assertion might be wrong? Mm. What, what, what's the best, what is the best? Kind of evidence that you would accept um that that would that you would conclude otherwise you know what like john i i gotta end there like i feel like that's the checkmate question <laughs> i always feel like that's a checkmate question yeah. i wish everybody would do that and just say like what would it convince you to do otherwise yeah. when i was when i was talking to michael Shermer, i asked him i said what would it convince you mm -hmm. that aliens exist or you know whatever mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. even to a skeptic they can answer that, you know, and, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, so do you think yeah. that question, do you think there's a possibility you, you can introduce it too soon or should that be like right out the gate? Like what would convince you otherwise? Cause I have a tendency to say, okay, you believe this, what would, what would be required? Like whether you believe in yeah. ghosts or astrology yeah. anything, what would convince you otherwise? Yeah. Like when, when do we, when do we drop that one? Yeah. Well, I think in, in the, in the case that you brought up too, I, I just come up with things that, um, that the evidence that we do have, um, detect whether or not that's good enough for you. Like if we said, well, what if I gave you pictures from, you know, the Hubble spacecraft and all other gun satellites that, that show, um, that show that the earth is not, not flat and, yeah. and, the, and they're coming from all like, you know, NASA is not the only uh, space program in the world. It's the, China has all, Russia has all already established this. And you know, it's coming from all of these places. Or if I give you not only satellite pictures, but I just give you basic, you know, um, the experiments, you know, thought experiments that we, you know, that we're, we look at or in all the other forms of documentation that the earth is shaped much more like a basketball than a hockey puck. And if you're not willing to accept those things, then the conversation might as well end yeah, no, because it's just not, absolutely. yes, it's just, it's just not, 
um, it's, it's not going anywhere. So, but if, it, if you can get through how, and if it's compelling, then they, then I think it's, 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 uh, good to ask, well, have you consider these other forms uh, of evidence that suggests otherwise, like your sentence flat, but it is all of these other um, pieces of evidence that suggest otherwise, have you considered that? And these, these three questions, the first one of clarification, like what, mm -hmm. and, and then how, and have you considered what these, these questions are designed to essentially diagnose the interest and the concern that an mm. individual has for truth, genuine evidence and established knowledge. And, and then, then you can decide, okay, well, this person, I think people can make reasonable judgments as to whether or not, um, they're dealing with a, a bullshit artist, um, or, or, and they could decide, make an informed opinion as to whether, whether or not they buy it. But, um, yeah. I think those are sort of like, those are basic kind of, uh, critical thinking skills, one-on-one types of questions, but. That's in the case where you, you give it, me a case where I can communicate directly with the, with the, uh, the potential bullshitter. Right. But, but there's lots of cases where you are not able to, to communicate directly with, with the, mm -hmm. with the community. So, but, but there, I mean, you can ask questions like, well, well, who am I getting this information from? Who, what is mm -hmm. their credibility? What is their expertise? Who? So you start mm -hmm. with who? And then, and then you move to, well, how, well, how do they know that mm -hmm. is, is, you know, do they have the expertise there? Do they have the credentials to how would it be that they, how did they come to that conclusion? And then what, what, what agenda might they have? What are yeah. they trying to, what are they trying to sell me? So like who, how, and what are they trying to sell me? What's their agenda? Like, again, it's just sort of another line. Real, really basic line of, yeah. of reasoning that, that can be used. That can also be turned on to the self. Mm -hmm. which people often refrain from doing that. Well, how, well, how, what, what really is my knowledge in this yeah, domain? How, do I what, know this? <laughs> yeah, how exactly? How did I come to this? I mean, I had uh, a good friend who was convinced that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, that the, the, uh, storming of the Capitol on January mm. 6th was, was due to Bill Gates and, George Soros paying people to, to act oh, no. like hooli to act like a bunch of hooligans and, and storm. And I'm like, how, how is it that you know that? How <laughs> yeah. do you know? And I had to ask at least seven or eight times before he finally confessed. He's like, well, okay, I guess I don't know how <laughs> and you force people to answer how and sort of go through the process and explain how it is that they, what, what they're all critical thinking will start to kick in yeah. and it's, it's a wonderful gift. It, uh, the gift of doubt and the, and the prompt to, to think about things more critically is a great gift to give to mm -hmm. a, anyone that, that, that might be selling you bullshit. Yeah. I I'm, I'm such a huge advocate for like, make sure like, like your mental health and your sanity is good. Mm -hmm. Like I, I self-published a book on, uh, you know, how to help a drug addict and stuff like that. Like, uh, when I was working in a treatment center, mm -hmm. because a lot of it's like, you know, friends and family members get affected. And I get a lot of people who say, how do I convince, you know, that my, you know, my friend that QAnon is ridiculous mm -hmm. or, you know, whatever. And I, I, I often recommend you start out with the question of, mm -hmm what would prove what would prove to you that this is not correct right and if they say no then like for my own sanity it's like okay well the conversation's over you know what i mean or like mm -hmm. i i know where this conversation's gonna go yeah. so yeah. i can kind of like mentally prepare but like like you just mentioned too with your friend and like the capital you know and all that and like how do you know this like 
and here's another reason everybody listening needs to go buy the book. Like I go back to like the car example or even like uh, taking financial advice. Like if I'm going to buy a used car and they say, this car will last you another 100,000 miles. Mm -hmm. And I just, <laughs> I came from a place of curiosity. I'm like, huh, how do you know that? Right? Like they, they're going to have to bullshit me, <laughs> you know, or they're going to have to admit mm -hmm. that they don't know that. Or if somebody tells me to buy a certain stock, like I recently got into investing and they're mm -hmm. like, oh, this is going to be 10 times what it is right now. And I'm like, how do you know that? You know, and and when we ask that, and like I I kind of look at this as like I don't I don't imagine I'm ever gonna switch somebody's mind like a light switch. I just think of it as like Johnny Appleseed. Like I just want to plant mm -hmm. seeds with people yeah. <laughs> so they so they leave and maybe like tonight when they're going to bed they're like, huh, how do I know that? You know what I mean? <laughs> like that's that's yes. kind of my strategy. It's one of those things where I'm like I might not even see the the benefits of yes of what yeah. I'm trying to do, mm -hmm. uh, but. But yeah, you you have so many tools and you kind of summarize, you know, or like uh, in the book with like a bunch of like tips and tools to detect bullshit. So aside from like questioning, if you could leave people with one one more tool, like what what is something yeah. that we could use to detect I would, bullshit? Yeah, I would say something that I didn't discuss a lot is is to when you do decide to call bullshit and you're sure that it is, that, that the, probably the best way to do it is in maybe in private. Uh, ah. because it, it, once people, uh, publicize their bullshit based beliefs and, 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 and their ideas, it's really very, very hard not to double down on it mm -hmm. and sort of go down a road that is just very unproductive. And so if, if you just, and, and if you, again, you don't have to use the word bullshit. I mean, and, and you could normalize it too. You say, well, yeah, I used to think that too, even if it, you know, even if that's a lie, because <laughs> I, I, you know, I used to think the earth was flat too. And I was, and, and, yeah. but then I came in, you know, so it's, it's a reasonable error, you know, in reasoning it's understandable, you know, and, and, and it's even normalize it and just, and, um, yeah, if you do it, if you do it in private, it's usually. Uh, it, you know, it's unlikely that, I mean, it, I've, I've actually never seen this happen where you just feed people, um, really good evidence and they change their minds immediately. Right. Yeah. That, that, that never, that never happens. But I, 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 I like your idea of more of sort of just planting some seeds of doubt. They may come up, they may come around to a, a, a different conclusion. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and the probably never give you any credit for it because they'll think it's just their own idea. They just came to this on their own and, and mm -hmm. people often forget, we call this the sleeper effect. We yep. often, for, we often forget the, the source or the, the, the information that, that, that kind of changed our minds about, about something. And, and, um, yeah, I think if, if, if people are more motivated, if they publicize their beliefs, this is why it's, it's, it's never good to sort of publicize to your friends that you're on a diet, <laughs> right? Because they're going to be the first people <laughs> to ask you, oh, hey, Chris, how's the diet <laughs> You know, yeah. and, 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 um, but yeah, boy, when you, when you publicize this, you know, all these studies in, in cognitive dissonance too also show that if you publicize your belief, it, it's really hard yep. to, to backtrack on that because people expect you to be consistent mm -hmm. and people expect consistency out of their, their, their themselves. And that's a very, very strong motivation. But, but if you, if you allow them, to change their mind. If you kind of allow them to restate their claim, even they can take a couple back pedal steps. And that's so much more likely to happen in private mm -hmm. when there's not, where there's not another audience that, that, that they feel as though, oh, gee, I, I'm going to, I'm going to sound like a fool if I say that I was wrong. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to do is to say, to say that, that I was wrong. Um, 
or, or I'm sorry, that wasn't, that wasn't entirely correct. You know, it's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And as, 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 you know, uh, <laughs> as a researcher, you know, like, uh, I, I, you've seen like the power of like, you know, uh, group psychology and conformity and all that, like, mm-hmm. like, like from what you're saying, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea for me to walk into a, a flat earther convention, go up there <laughs> as a speaker and explain to them why they're all wrong. Like, cause there's, there's all these other factors, right? Like not only would someone have to agree with me, they'd have to separate themselves from the group, their friends, whoever's there. Right. So yeah, we got to do this on like an individual one-on-one and Hey, maybe that's a sequel idea for the next book is talking about, you know, how we're influenced by groups and all that and our need to, you know, be consistent with our beliefs and, and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, there, there's so much, there's so much good stuff. And like I said, I, I read a, a ton of books on this and I learned so much from yours. So do me a favor before I let you go, let people know where they can find the book and where they can find you to stay up to date with other projects you're working on or, or I don't even know, like, do you, do you like share like the research you're doing and all that? Yeah, actually, uh, all, pretty much the entire book, any claims that I made about the behavior or detection um, are all, all really based on the research that I've been doing and, and borrowing from um, deception research. Um, so all the citations are, in, are actually in the book. Um, and, and, um, so I know that's rare to have someone who actually, <laughs> actually does the research on the topic and, and writes about it. But, uh, but yeah, it's easy enough to find me at, uh, on, on, on Twitter. I'm a, uh, John V Petro on Twitter and, or Wake Forest University Psychology. You can find me there, but, uh, yeah, book, book is all over anywhere books are sold. Yeah. And I, I, I'm an audio listener, so I got the audio copy. So it's even available in in audio version, but yeah, Yeah. I'm going to, I'll link the book down below and your social media and everything like that. So yeah, John, thank you so much. This, I I prepped you. I told you this was going to be, you know, a little bit longer and I could honestly go on for hours more, but thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time and coming on to chat about the book. All right, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, everybody, that was my conversation with John Petrocelli, and I hope, no, you know what, I'm going to go out on a limb here, maybe it's because I'm from Vegas, I'm a betting man, I'm willing to bet that you enjoyed the hell out of that episode, all right, John is such a great guy, and his research is so awesome, and I, I, I love the way that he kind of, you know, looks at you know, different situations and, and all this, right? Because yeah, one of the most important things and one of the best parts about his book is just the real world application. Like one of the reasons I read so much and I love, you know, having conversations with all these authors is because I like looking at, at these books and these different topics and saying, okay, well, how, how can we utilize this information in our daily lives? And John was already on that page when he sat down and wrote this book. And, and yeah, I, I really do think like, if you're an audio listener, you'll really enjoy this book. I I told John on the side, I'm like, Hey man, you got the perfect narrator for this uh, audio book. So anyways, so check out the description down below. Make sure you're following John over on Twitter, grab a copy of the book. All right. It's, it's so good and, and get a copy for someone, you know, so, you know, if you have a, a mom, a dad, a sister, a brother, a friend, whoever, who keeps falling for bullshit, right? Like they, they watch, you know, uh, certain news channels. I won't name any specifically, maybe be like, Hey, instead of, instead of watching that, maybe you should read this instead. All right. So get them a copy of John's book. All right. But yeah, while you're down in the description, make sure you are following me over on Instagram and Twitter at the rewired soul. I love chatting with all of you. I love when you send me book recommendations or or toss around ideas with me. 
absolutely love it. All right. And if you're new here or if you're returning and you haven't yet, make sure you are following the podcast over on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform. But if you want to do something really awesome and do something really cool when it comes to supporting the podcast for absolutely free, take two seconds, share this episode. All right. Share this episode with people you think need to know about detecting bullshit or share any of the episodes that you find interesting. And something else that really helps the podcast is over on Apple, take a minute or two and leave a rating and review. All right. Sharing, rating it, all that stuff. It helps tell the algorithms that you know, the podcast is kind of interesting and other people might like it so we can grow this little community. All right. But some other ways to support the podcast and help me with my reading habit, uh, you can head over to the rewiredsoul.com. There's a link down below. I have self-published some books on, you know, mental health, addiction, recovery, my experience being canceled and all that. Uh, you could become a patron and down below, there is also an affiliate link for better help online therapy. All right. Mental health is a huge, huge, huge aspect of my life. It's one of the few things that tries to keep me sane. All right. And better help is a service that I have personally used. So if you want affordable online therapy with a licensed therapist from your state, check out that affiliate link for better help online therapy. All right. But yeah, another huge, huge thank you to Don, uh, John Petrocelli for coming on the podcast to talk about his book. I almost screwed up his name there. But yeah, go follow John over on Twitter, grab a copy of his book. And for all of you, thanks so much for listening. I'm actually probably doing uh, episodes both Saturday and Sunday because I, I have a ton of episodes I need to get out there. So, so yeah. Make sure you stay tuned. So have a wonderful rest of your day and I'll see you in the next one.